They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Football with Friends Championship Week Edition. We know who's playing. We've got five Power Five Conference Championship games. We have also got the MAC Championship, which I think is actually going to be a pretty fun ball game. We've also got one of the more underrated games all week, but I know a lot of people will have eyes on the American Athletic Conference Championship game. We've also got the Mountain West Conference Championship game and maybe one of the best stories of the year happening in that game. This will be the last weekend of college football. And there will be some other key games mixed in, and we'll get to those. Those will kind of be our honorable mention games. But this is championship weekend, and I thought, what better thing to do than to break these games down, what you're going to see, and then pick winners because that's what we like to do, right? You like to have breakdowns of games and you like to hear winners. So let's do it. Let's get into these games and let's start in the Mid-American Conference because, well, that's Friday night. So we got to get on top of things. And let's start with Ball State taking on Buffalo. And in this game, Buffalo is a 13-point favorite. And I'm not totally sure I can get behind 13 points in a championship game, especially when there has not been a full body of work this season. However, I think I might lay those 13. I think I might lay them because Buffalo is bringing one of the best offensive lines in the country, is getting consideration for the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the nation. They're led up front by left tackle Coyote Awosika, 6'5", 315-pound, long-arm masher out on the edge, does a tremendous job out there, and he sort of sets the tone for what they want to do. But this offense revolves around two running backs. One, Patrick Means Jr. He's the backup, and he has been phenomenal this season. But the star is Jarrett Patterson. He has over 1,000 yards in just five games, 1,025 yards, 18 touchdowns, and they have handed him the football about as much as you possibly could. In the Kent State game, where we wanted to see him hand the ball a little bit more, Lance Leopold said, no, 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 head coach, yeah, you come to the sideline, Jarrett. Let's get Means some touches. He had eight touchdowns Patterson did in that game. Means had two. He's just going to give one. He would have set a record. But either way, Buffalo up front is, I think, too salty for Ball State, even though Ball State has the co-defensive player of the year. And I'm really excited to take a deep dive into him tonight and then on into the future. That's Brandon Martin, 6'2", 232-pound junior, led the tackles, led the Cardinals in tackles with 72 in just six games. He had six and a half tackles for a loss and a sack. Like I said, he was the MAC co-defensive player of the year. Now, that defense has also given up 28 points a game. And that doesn't feel like it's going to be a recipe for success. Throw on top of that, that they're... Star running back, second team all, Matt Caleb Huntley, 5'10", 229-pound senior, decided to opt out and will not play in this game. I'm going to lay those 13, and I'm taking Buffalo to hammer Ball State. I think Ball State will stay in it. Look, you get a championship game, you got a little something to you. But the way that Buffalo can run the football with not only Patterson, but with means, I think that's going to end up spelling trouble 
for Ball State in this one. I think Buffalo takes the championship. They, unfortunately, will not have a chance at a playoff, and I don't think they're going to end up with one of the New Year's Day six games because of another game that's taking place, and that's the American Athletic Championship that is taking place at Cincinnati. And this, I think, is going to be one of... Look, there's some great games this weekend. I think this one is going to be right up there with the best games that you're going to see this weekend. It's going to be flat-out phenomenal. Cincinnati is, like Buffalo, a double-digit favorite in this one at 14.5. Now, that said, Tulsa has played very, very well. And they are led by a linebacker who is going to be up for every defensive award. And I've talked about him. I've written about him. I don't know if I've talked about him too much. But I have written about him, and he's one of my favorite players in the country. In the first game of the year against Oklahoma State, he ended up with three sacks. But it wasn't just that. It was just a number of different things he was doing out on the field. And his name is Zavin Collins, number 23. 6'4", 260 pounds. And he goes and finds the football. He's forced fumbles all year. He has sacked the quarterback. He has been all over the field. The challenge for Zavin Collins in that Tulsa defense, though, is a Cincinnati Bearcat offense that is a is a good balanced offense led by Desmond Ritter at quarterback. Not a lot of people, I feel like, are giving Ritter the credit that he deserves for the season that he had and has had at Cincinnati. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. 6'4", 215, it kind of doesn't look like it when you see him um, out on the field. He looks like he's maybe a little smaller than that, but then they get up close shots of him, and he's standing eye to eye at the lineman. You're like, man, he is legit 6'4". He threw for 1,800 yards, 16 touchdowns, but he also ran for 526, averaged nearly 8 yards a carry, and had 11 touchdowns on the ground. And Ritter just gives Cincinnati a different dimension than maybe teams want to face because, look, they hit you with a, they hit you with Jared Dokes, the senior running back, and then all of a sudden here comes Ritter. They've got a freshman running back, Jerome Ford. So they've got a number of different ways to hurt you. But to me, Cincinnati's defense is what this thing is all about. I love Derek Forrest in the back end. I think he is one of the better safety prospects. They're led by a bunch of seniors, including James Wiggins. Also, uh, a safety in the back who has dealt with some injuries throughout his career. Young man from uh, Miami, Florida. They've got some dudes on that Cincinnati defense. I do think that Tulsa will make this ultra difficult. I think that 14 and a half is too much. I, I just got, I got to, I mean, Saturday night in Cincinnati, it's going to be, I mean, look, if you had a packed house, I think maybe you could, uh, you could make a case for 14 and a half. I don't know that I can do it. I think his Tulsa team has got just enough to make it really interesting on both sides of the ball. But in the end, Cincinnati, when you play them, it's sort of like death by paper cut. They just... One cut here, one cut there. And before you know it, you're like, man, they've cut me all over the place. And you look down and you're down by 17. And I think that's what's going to happen in this one. I think this one turns out to be something like 38-21. But Cincinnati is going to cover that 14 and a half. It feels too rich. It feels too rich. It feels like you should jump all over it. And I love Zayvon Collins. But this is just too much. I think Cincinnati is a really good football team. I think it's a shame the Bearcats will not have a shot at the playoff this year because they absolutely deserve it. That is a really, 
Well put together football team by Luke Fickle. And I think Cincinnati's going to end up winning that thing by more than 14 and a half. I, I feel like 17 uh, is the way to go. Then you got the Mountain West Conference Championship, which I find really interesting because of the inclusion. And I say inclusion. I mean, they deserve to be there of San Jose State. They had to deal with the Santa Clara shutdown, and yet it didn't stop them. It didn't stop them at all, and it didn't stop quarterback Nick Starkle. Now, if you go, wait a second, I recognize that name, Nick Starkle, Nick Starkle. Well, remember, he started at A&M. Then he ended up going to Arkansas to play for Chad Morris. Then Sam Pittman came in. He decided to move again, and he finally found a pretty solid home with San Jose State, throwing for under 1,500 yards, but he only played six games, but he had 13 touchdowns, just four interceptions. And Starkle has the ability to get out of the pocket and do some things, even though he didn't rush a lot. He does have that ability. He's not going to stay in the pocket and be statuesque. That's, that's not his game. However, that uh, performance that he gave this year was phenomenal. But Tyler Nevins at running back averages nearly nine yards a carry. Kyrie Robinson forms a really nice pairing in the backfield. They're going to be tested, though, by a Boise State team that has has been there before. They've been there before, and that's why the odds makers have made Boise State a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I sort of feel like I want to roll with San Jose State but it's really hard to go against the Broncos. It is tough. They lost one game this year. That was out of conference. That was the Brigham Young. Now, BYU smashed them. But this Boise State team can put up some points. Beat Utah State 42-13. Scored 49 against Air Force. 52 against Colorado State. 40 against Hawaii. Now, they did only score 17 against Wyoming. So, from that perspective, does it give you a little bit of worry? Potentially. I don't know if I get too totally caught up in all of that, but they really don't have a guy they totally rely on offensively. But with a six and a half point spread, I really want to go with San Jose State in this one. And you know what? I'm going to ride the Cinderella story. I'm going to take those six and a half, and I'm going San Jose State to win straight up. So I'll take the six and a half. Worst case, I get the six and a half. But I think San Jose State's going to follow Nick Starkle. And he is going to prove to be the man in this one. He's going to get it done. So you've got, uh, you've got uh, what did I say here? You got Cincinnati over Tulsa, lay the points. You've got San Jose State upsetting Boise State straight up. And I'll take the six and a half that they're giving to Boise State. Uh, and then the MAC championship where Buffalo is a 13-point favorite. I'm going to ride Jarrett Patterson to win and to cover that 13. I don't think Ball State will stop them. Now, of all the non-Power 5 championship games this weekend, the one to me that is just unfortunate that we're not going to see it, and that's Louisiana and Coastal Carolina. It's just a shame because to me, that would have been one of the better games of the weekend. It would have been an absolutely phenomenal showing of these two teams, Coastal Carolina. I mean, both of them, um, 
both of them this year had wins against Big 12 teams. In fact, uh, Louisiana beat Iowa State and... Um, is that right? Yeah, Louisiana beat Iowa State at Iowa State and Coastal Carolina beat Kansas for the second consecutive year. Now, when they played earlier this year, Coastal Carolina ended up winning that game. However, because of COVID, the Sun Belt was forced to crown co-champions, which means that Coastal Carolina is going to end up finishing 11-0. But if Coastal had ended up with a win and gone to 12-0, then what could and with a win over BYU, what could that have meant? I mean, if I were the college football czar, and look, I know they're controlled by the conferences. So you know what I would do? I would tell Tennessee to get bent. I would say, A&M, you know what you're doing? You're going to play Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina and A&M. And shoot, play the game in Houston. I don't know, play it in Conway. Man, can you imagine A&M going to Conway? Oh, that would be fantastic. Uh, but that's the game, that game has been canceled, and, uh, and that is highly, highly unfortunate because that was probably going to be I think, the best championship game of the weekend. All right, let's get to the Power 5 championship games. We'll start with the game on Friday night, and that's going to be USC taking on Oregon. Now, this was supposed to be Washington. Washington finished undefeated, but because of COVID, we're not going to see Elijah Molden in this game, who I think is one of my favorite players in all of college football. Then you won't see Washington. Um, You won't see what they've got. And they've got ZTF off the edge, who... We always know him as ZTF. He's one of the dynamic pass rushers uh, in the country. And I, that's all I remember him as. So I always have to look up what his real name is because I just call him ZTF, ZTF, uh, because he's been phenomenal. And that's Zion Tupola Fati, uh, seven sacks in four games, uh, and just phenomenal as a sophomore for Washington. Won't see them, but we will see Oregon. Oregon had a couple of losses, and if UCLA would have not made a huge mistake prior to the end of the half. Maybe they lose that game, and maybe we see somebody else in this game. However, we are going to see Oregon. And in talking about Oregon, here's some players to watch for Oregon. And I think, and, and again, whether you have an NFL draft slant on it or you just want to watch the game, Johnny Johnson, I think, is one of the better receivers in the Pac-12. He is fun to watch. C.J. Verdell, running back, had a tremendous end of last season, a great Pac-12 championship game last year against Utah in the upset win. He's coming back from an injury. He's been dinged up. He didn't run a lot in that final game. And it's it's going to be a little dicey of whether he is going to be in the lineup or not. But I think he's going to play against USC in this one. On defense, No Sewell is a true freshman. He's the brother of Panay Sewell, who did not play this year for Oregon. Will be a top seven at the worst pick in NFL draft. No Sewell is just a true freshman. And I think he's the best defensive player. Minus one on the Oregon team. And I think the best defensive player potentially in the country is defensive end for Oregon wearing number five, and that's Kayvon Thibodeau. And I think if Kayvon were in this 2021 NFL draft, I think there's a good chance he could probably go top three. Uh, maybe top uh, – with the quarterbacks – with the quarterbacks, you might make it top five. He is, I think, the best edge rusher in the country. You can take them all. I don't care who. He's, I think, the best. For USC – offensively, they've been riding the arm of Keaton Slovis in the fourth quarter. He's been brilliant. Brilliant. He brought USC back again in the fourth quarter last week against UCLA to get a win and keep USC undefeated. He's got great receivers around him. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. You've got Tyler Vaughns. He's got guys he can throw the football to. Uh, uh, Drake London as well. 
They're protected by Elijah Vera Tucker, number 75. You'll see him in left tackle. Now, he's a junior. Last year he played guard. This year he's played tackle. And I was kind of curious as to how that was going to go. I think he's played very, very well to a point where I'm actually thinking about him projecting him to be a tackle going forward to the NFL because I think he showed that he could do it. He can, he can last out there. Not only last, he can play very, very well. Maybe he's a better fit out there. But the two players you got to watch are the two safeties for USC. Talanoa Hafanga, number 15, 6'1", 215 pound junior, and safety number 21, Isaiah Polamau, 6'4", 205. And those two together, 15 and 21, man, they are fun to watch. Now, USC is favored by three. If this game gets to the fourth quarter and it's close, USC is going to win this football game. And I think USC is going to win this game. I think this is one of those where they finally they've played five games together. They're kind of on a little bit of a rhythm now. They're playing together. They got through a really tough UCLA team. I think it's a better UCLA team than the one Oregon faced uh, up in Eugene a few weeks ago. So I'm going with USC to cover that three, win this thing. I do think it's a little bit, it's high scoring. I think this feels like 37-30, something of that magnitude, 35-28. But I'm taking the Trojans to stay undefeated, get the 6-0. And unfortunately, they will not get consideration for the playoff, which I think is a shame. I think they would have been a really fun team to watch. Uh, in the playoff, and another year goes by, and another Pac-12 team out of the playoff running. In fact, if I did kind of a quick scan over the years, Washington made it in 16, and from that, and uh, Oregon made it in 14. And I think other than that, the Pac-12 has been shut out in the playoff. If I, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm kind of doing that on the fly um, because all I can remember are Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama. Michigan State did make it one year, so the Big Ten's been in there. Ohio State's been in there. So I think it's going back to 2016. So we'll go another year without the Pac-12. I do think that USC would go in a playoff and make it very interesting. I do think they'd end up getting bounced because defensively they're just not that great. But I do think they're going to end up winning this game against Oregon and do it by more than three. All right, let's move to Saturday's championships that start at 11 o'clock. Central time, so you can figure out wherever you listen to time zone-wise. And the odds makers think this is going to be a massive blowout. Ohio State taking on Northwestern. Ohio State's an 18.5-point favorite. But do not tell the fighting Reese Davises that that's the case. They love being the underdog. They love it. They've got an Indiana transfer quarterback in Peyton Ramsey. They've got a receiver that everybody just calls RCB because they can't say Ramad. Chikau Bowman, I can't even say it, but he's a trem- had a tremendous season for Northwestern with a lot of big catches. But they're not going to do it offensively. That's not where they get you. Where they get you is on defense, where they've got a ton of ballers, including a guy that I covered and called games for when he was in high school at Katy High School. That's Patty Fisher. Big Ten linebacker of the year. First team, all Big Ten. Will linebacker next to him is Blake Gallagher from Massachusetts. He's a second team. Uh, all Big Ten honoree. And the Sam linebacker is Chris Bergen, 5'11", 215-pound. See, they're all three seniors. They've been together for a while. But their best player might be at safety. He's Big Ten defensive freshman of the year, number 16, Brandon Joseph. Now, he'll get tested against Justin Fields in that passing game. But don't tell the Wildcats they're 18.5-point favorites and not expect them to kind of bow the neck a little bit. But beating the Buckeyes is going to be tough. Led by Justin Fields, last year Heisman Trophy candidate, Largely thought to be the second pick in the draft to Jacksonville, if Jacksonville hangs on at number two spot, um, that he's going to go one or two. Not one, I think it's Trevor Lawrence, depending on what happens to Lawrence, but you get the point. Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, he's quarterback of the year in the conference as well. He throws the ball to two stud receivers, both earned 
First team all Big Ten honors, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. He's protected by one of the best offensive guards I've seen in a long time. That's Wyatt Davis, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year. And when he turns the hands of all to Master Teague or Trey Sermon, the running game is as good as it gets. So offensively, they can score points on anybody, anywhere, anytime. Even with that experience on the Northwestern defense, this is a team that averages 46.6 points per game. Now, they've only played they've only played those five games, but they can put the ball in the end zone. Now, they've played nobody, really. Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, Indiana, Michigan State. They haven't really played anybody. I mean, Indiana was the best team they played. They only won that game by seven. And I think Northwestern's better than Indiana. We'll get that in a second. Defensively, Pete Warner, linebacker, is a very interesting player. First team all Big Ten. And then number 24, Sean Wade. It's thought to be the best corner for Ohio State. He's the Big Ten defensive back of the year. I don't think he had a great year, to be honest. But he was adapting from going inside, playing inside the majority of the time, to playing outside the majority of the time. He played Trinity Christian in Florida, so I'm very, very aware of players that come from there. So he's a baller. Here's the thing. 18 and a half, to me, is way too rich. I'm taking Northwestern and the points, but I'm thinking Ohio State wins this game, and then it gets all kinds of complicated for the playoff committee. Because if this comes true, let's say that Ohio State wins by 14. Let's say it's 42-28. Has Ohio State done enough to get in the playoff? Have have the Buckeyes done enough? That's going to end up being the question. They'll be 6-0. They've been in the playoff before. They are one of the better teams in the country. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And I'm sure Vegas would put up odds. Alabama against Ohio State, Clemson against Ohio State, Notre Dame against Ohio State, A&M against Ohio State. Um, you put all those, and I guarantee you Ohio State's probably favored in two or three of those games. But I don't know if you can reward them for only playing six games. I think Ohio State has to blow out Northwestern. I don't think it happens. Northwestern's, North, Northwestern's going to cover that number, but Ohio State's going to end up getting the win, go to 6-0, and and I think they're going to end up getting that playoff shot. And I think... They will end up getting the winner of Clemson-Notre Dame, and we'll get to that one in just a little bit. Because also at 11, you got the Big 12 championship. Now, neither one of these teams, I'd imagine, is going to the playoff. But Iowa State has played out of its mind since losing some games early in this year that the Cyclones really had no... I don't say they didn't have any business losing, but they lost at Oklahoma State. And then they lost at home to Louisiana. If they don't lose that game to Louisiana, is Iowa State in running with just one loss? I'll tell you this. I love that team. Led by Brock Purdy, first team, all Big 12 quarterback. And then I buried the lead. The Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year is running back. And I think my favorite running back in the country. Now, he's a true sophomore. So I got to wait another year to see him in the NFL. But Brees Hall is as fun a running back as I've watched in, in a while. I love watching him. But he's not alone. Charlie Kolar and Chase Allen, the two tight ends, were first team and second team, respectively, in the Big 12. He's got a first team all Big 12 wide receiver in Xavier Hutchinson. His line is very good. couple of honorees up front in front of Brock Purdy. This Iowa State offense can put up some points. And they put up some points and hammered Oklahoma. But Oklahoma was playing earlier in the year about as badly as I've seen Oklahoma team play. I mean, losing games earlier in the year. Finally, in the second half of that Texas game, that's when Spencer Rattler got going. But Spencer's going to have to face the Iowa State defense led by Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, linebacker Mike Rose. Very a versatile guy. Can play anywhere in the field. Physical. Very fun to watch. Defensive 
Co-freshman of the year is Ashim Young. He plays the nickel. He's number one. He is a fun dude to watch. Jaquan Bailey has been there forever. He's a first team, all Big 12 rusher. And then safety team captain Greg Eisworth. Second straight season, he's been named first team all Big 12. He plays safety. He keeps everybody together. That is a very interesting defense just from a schematic um, side of things, but also from a personnel side of things. And they make things they made things very, very difficult on Spencer Rather. Thing about it is this Oklahoma offense each and every week started to get going. And one of the reasons they did, two reasons they did, was a little bit more focus on Ramondre Stevenson and then the contributions of true freshman wide receiver Marvin Mims. Those two guys started stepping up and Rattler calmed down, started growing up in that second half of the Texas game. And from that point forward, Oklahoma has been clean as a whistle. Now, defensively, Oklahoma's still not where it wants to be or needs to be. They got some guys up front that can make life tough on Purdy. Ronnie Perkins uh, off the edge. Isaiah Thomas. Perrion Winfrey uh, playing on the defensive line. They were all second-team defensive honorees along with cornerback Trey Brown. Oklahoma's favored by six. I hate that. I know it's tough to beat a team twice in a year, and I know Oklahoma's hot. And I do think OU wins this, but this thing's going to be close. It's going to be really close, as in inside the six. So give me an Iowa State to cover the six, but Oklahoma with a last-second field goal to win this thing 38-35 in one of the games of the year. I think this Big 12 championship game is going to be all kinds of fun to watch. But Iowa State gets the cover. Oklahoma gets the win. All right, Saturday afternoon, we get a game that should and, quite honestly, might happen a third time, and that's Clemson versus Notre Dame. In Charlotte, this is going to be a tremendous game, and we all know the key. We all know what happens now that didn't happen before, and that game up in South Bend, Clemson did not have quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Now, DJ Uyunglele, I practiced that all day. I keep practicing it, and I know it, and I kind of botched it. DJ Uyunglele was actually really good in that game. But in overtime, a couple of big plays from Notre Dame edge players, and that shut it down. Now, Notre Dame this year, offensively, has kind of peeled back some of the layers. Like Tommy Reese has done a heck of a job as offensive coordinator, and Ian Book has been fantastic. And I think he actually should be a Heisman candidate. I don't know if he'll get in consideration for it, but he should be in the running. Kyron Williams at running back is as dynamic as it gets. The two tight ends, Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble for Notre Dame's offense, make life miserable for second and third level defenders. And the offensive line led by Ian Eikenberg out at left tackle is as good as you're going to find it. They're going to be, uh, that group is going to end up being a Joe Moore Award finalist as well. And defensively, look, Dalen Hayes out on the end, uh, out on the edge. Kyle Hamilton at safety. And Jeremiah Owusu, Koromaria uh, Owusu is as good as you're going to find kind of a hybrid player. And they play very, very well together. But Clemson has Trevor Lawrence back, and I can't emphasize that enough. He's back. He's played in big games. He doesn't lose as a starting quarterback. The only time that he's lost as a starting quarterback was against LSU. Throughout his last couple of years in high school and throughout his career at Clemson, the only game he's lost as a starter was against LSU in the championship game. We know how good LSU was last year. This Notre Dame defense isn't quite at that level. And I think that's going to end up being the difference in this one. Clemson's favored by 10.5. That I don't like. I don't like Clemson being favored by that much. So similar to Oklahoma, Iowa State, I'm going to take the points. Notre Dame's going to cover, 
but Clemson's going to end up winning this football game. What that will do is put both Clemson and Notre Dame in the playoff. Notre Dame wins this thing. Clemson's out. Does A&M step up? Now, A&M's got Tennessee, and that's a different story maybe for Sunday's podcast, and maybe we'll do one then once we get all the bowl games announced. However, in this one, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence is back. Travis Etienne has got to be a dude. He's got to be that guy. Really does. He's got to take care of the football. Last time at South Bend, a couple of mistakes, cost Clemson, but he also kept Clemson in the game because of the way that he plays it, plays it in the receiving game, plays it in the running game, and just plays hard. But I think in the end, Trevor Lawrence, and here's another underrated aspect of this. James Skalski is supposed to be back, linebacker for Clemson. He is the soul of that Clemson defense. And I don't take that lightly. You've got to have a guy like that back for your defense. And the fact that he has been back, I think, makes this entire thing completely different for Clemson going forward. To have Skalski back in this lineup changes everything. Clemson wins. Notre Dame does cover. And then we finish with the final championship game of the night. It takes place in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Alabama taking on Florida. Now, going into the game, as I thought about this a couple weeks ago, okay, you can see Alabama, Florida coming. And I sat there and went, no, I just can't make a case for Florida. Then Florida loses to LSU. Look, Florida could have won that game. The cleat throw heard around the world didn't have to happen, but it did. LSU did whatever it wanted to against that Florida defense. Mac Jones and Devontae Smith are going to have a field day. This, to me, has 56 to 23 written all over it. I think that Nick Saban, while he was home during COVID, was looking at Florida film going, all right, let's stop Kyle Trask. And the key in stopping Kyle Trask is Kyle Pitts, the tight end slash receiver. And Trask is going to go to Pitts. But you also got Kadarius Toney. Kadarius Tony, number one for Florida, is I think one of the more dynamic players in the country. So it's Pitts and Tony, Pitts and Tony, deep ball, Trevon Grimes. Alabama is going to show Kyle Trask some different things that he has not seen this year. They've got all the different checks they want to have and all the different adjustments. And I think that's going to cost them because Alabama's defense has gotten better and better by the week. And I think that improvement is going to keep Florida in check, in particular in the second half. And when those guys up front, Will Anderson uh, and the guys up front, Christian Barmore, they start hunting Kyle Trask as opposed to having to play the run or anything like that, it's going to be a long day for Trask. Alabama is favoring this one by 17. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm laying the 17. I'm taking the Crimson Tide. They're going to win this thing big. Mac Jones is going to put up numbers. Devontae Smith is going to add three touchdowns. And I think Devontae Smith should end up winning the Heisman. If you ask me my Heisman vote, well, we can talk about it after the weekend. Um, and we'll talk about the playoff after the weekend. We'll talk about the bowl matchups after the weekend. But those are your champions. USC in the Pac-12. Winners, USC in the Pac-12. Oklahoma in the Big 12. Uh, you've got Clemson beating Notre Dame. You've got Alabama in the SEC. And you've got Ohio State in the Big 10. Playoff, if all that happens is going to be very interesting between Ohio State and did the Buckeyes do enough? Did their, Are they going to win this thing 59-0 like they did a few years ago against Wisconsin? They end up getting that fourth spot. It's going to be very, very interesting. 
So at the same time that uh, fans are watching Northwestern Ohio State, there'll be some watching A&M in Tennessee. And if A&M blows out Tennessee and Ohio State narrowly escapes with Northwestern, does Ohio State uh, get jumped by A&M into that playoff spot? It's going to be very, very interesting. No doubt about it. Now, Football Friends Podcast is sponsored by the Mercari Texas Bowl. What a great announcement we had this weekend or this week that Mercari is the new sponsor for the Texas Bowl. That game is going to be December 31st right here at NRG Stadium. If you're in Houston or you're a fan of the game, we'll talk more about that game in, in particular. Um, but that game is December 31st at 7 p.m. They are allowing fans. Go to Mercari, M-E-R-C-A-R-I, TexasBowl.com. Mercari, TexasBowl.com. Get your tickets. A lot of signs are pointing to TCU Arkansas, which I think would be a hell of a bowl game. That would be fun. Have about 13,300 fans in the stands. And I know my man Fletch, Carly, everybody in Lone Star Sports Entertainment are going to be very happy with that bowl game. Check out MercariTexasBowl.com. Going to probably put out another podcast either Sunday or Monday with all the announcements of the playoff. Heisman finalists, everything that's going on. Probably have another podcast coming up shortly, but had to get this one done for championship weekend. Thank you so much for listening. This is Football with Friends from footballtakeover.com in partnership with the Mercari Texas Bowl. See you after the weekend, everybody. Take care and be safe.